Right. So your introduction to hockey came when? When, when I was about uh, six or seven years old, uh, my home farm where I was born and raised went right down to to the the water to the to Lake Saint Clair, and there's a little fishing village uh, in front of it, and so some of the younger kids and that we'd clear on we'd clear off the ice on the lake as soon as it got safe, and then we have a hockey rink for for the for for the winter. And uh, we approached it from the the, the road uh, as it, as it went right down, and uh, we'd have hockey games uh, among ourselves uh, on uh, the weekends, and and sometimes we'd have uh, you know just a pickup game of kids through the week. But we had that facility. Not very many of us had hockey sticks in those days. Hockey sticks were worth about twenty-five or thirty cents, <laughs> and there was there was no money available for it. So we we took the limb off trees and bent them, and uh, and uh, we did some of our uh, hockey work in the beginning with the limb off trees, and then as we got along, we uh, most everybody got a had advanced to having a hockey stick, and uh, and uh, so. Uh, we were very careful not to break it, and uh, it was a major thing if you broke it because you, you didn't get probably aren't going to get another one. You know, everybody was poor in those days. You know, and twenty five cents didn't seem like much, but for something like that that doesn't give you something to eat or, or keep you warm, is is not uh, it, it really just isn't on on the agenda. Now, were you playing in skates or were people yeah, yeah, in yeah, boots? We uh, we, I started on bob skates, two skates, but I was only on those for about maybe two or three months, and then we. But for the hockey game, we all had skates. We all had had, had a pair of skates. Sometimes they were skates handled down from uh, a, a previous older brother or or somebody in the group who uh, who had outgrown their skates, and then you could. Yeah, they could fit into those, and they'd be fine. Then you'd give them to somebody else, some younger person coming on. So the skates were sort of hand, hand, handed down. And uh, we had a group that uh, cleaned the ice, uh, you know, the snow, uh, uh, when, when it was necessary. But we, in the wintertime, we played hockey uh, on the lake a uh, uh, time or two through the week because it was school time, but always Saturday and Sunday when we were off, we had guys that played hockey, and, we, and very few of them had actually a hockey stick. They mostly had, you know, one that they made themselves, <clears throat> and we we uh, usually had a puck, that's all. <laughs> and, and that would be a very valuable thing. So, I mean, you're talking about playing in, you know, in conditions where there must be snow piles. Do you remember searches for the puck when it would go off the ice? Well, if it went, yeah, you had to kind of find it and bring it back. The other thing we had, we had our rink here, and one, uh, one uh, uh, Sunday afternoon we were playing, and there was an air hole. They have air holes over there. And a muskrat came up out of the, up through the air hole on the ice. Uh, may I say, 
So, so one of us, we decided we, you know, just have him move back in the home, and uh, and he wasn't want, didn't want to go very bad, but uh, one of the guys <laughs> uh, went up close to kind of shoe him, and he turned around to walk back away, and the muskrat grabbed him right by the seat of the pants. <laughs> Come on. No. The muskrat <laughs> took him right by the seat of the pants, and he was hanging on like that. The guy was spinning his wheels trying to get going, and the muskrat had him right by the ass of his pants. And one of the, there was an older girl there who had, was playing with us, and she just sat down, pulled off, just pulled off one of her skates because they slipped on, and while in sitting position, she threw the skate and cut him right off. <laughs> Knocked him right cold, and it was from here to there. You know, she had to sat down, pull off her skate, and whoa! You didn't mess with her. No, no, we didn't. We didn't, we didn't mess with her, and, 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 and took the old poor old muskrat flying, and he, he was kind of dizzy, but he he wobbled away, kind of in bad shape, and sat down. He didn't go in the water. He sat down to kind of collect. His, his conscience for, for a while, and we went on playing hockey. Amazing. Well, what got you into medicine? How did that happen? Well, I, I get to medicine. I, I, I got to medicine by a, 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 I always, I always wanted to, uh, to, uh, to, to go to, into medicine, but, but I, uh, uh, I was pretty sure that we wouldn't have enough money to send me. Uh, and so I went through. I got through high school, and um, I took a year off to work on the farm, earn a bit of money, and uh, had a tomato contract with Heinz for five acres of tomatoes. And he picked tomatoes uh, in the tomato season in the daytime, and trucked them at night to the to Wallaceburg, which was about ten k away. To uh, where you, uh, they had a depot there, and you unloaded your tomatoes in line with everybody else. You weighed in, and then you got in line, and you unload. We tell you, come back, and then uh, start the next morning and do the same thing. But it was it was money. At the end of the week, they paid you for how many tons of tomatoes you had delivered. They, you got your check on Friday from Heinz. And that was a savior because that was cash, and, and cash was very hard to come by in those days. So that it, it, it helped. I saved my money, of course, I bet. And I got so. I, by this time, I was, you know, into into teenagers, but I could pick the as faster than anybody because I knew where the money was going, and I'd pick sometimes 100, 110. Uh, the bushel baskets, baskets by hand a day. Wow! But we got paid yeah. three three cents, three cents, three cents a basket. And then you trucked them. I, I trucked them, and then we had an old wagon with rubber tires. And I'd have maybe a flat tire once or twice when I go in because the tires were poor and the load was heavy. And so I had to sit down, jack up the side. Take it off, put the tube, take the tube out, fix it if we could with a patch. Always had the patch material with me. Put put it back in the tire, put, put and, and put it back on the rim. Tighten her up, and away you go on to the ten miles. 
and and uh, come back whenever you whenever you got the, the you know the, the circle finished. But it worked. Yeah, it worked. And uh, my father and mother were very supportive of what they could do. But we had a mortgage on the farm, and there was, cash was very hard to come by. And I didn't think I'd be able to go for quite a while. And we were pretty, I was picking tomatoes, I remember the day. I was picking tomatoes uh, out in the field. My dad came out, and uh, he said, uh, Hugh, uh, I think... Uh, I, I think we can we can uh, pay uh, for you to go to school for uh, high so university for one year anyway, and then that would have to see. So I had what money I, I I had saved and what money father could get, and I applied and got into university and got got decent marks, uh, and so I had to get decent marks in the general course before I could get into, into medicine then. So I had high enough marks in the, in the group that I went the next step into medicine. And, uh, and then we went from year to year, and I would go back to school maybe, maybe a bit late, you know, but uh, because we didn't went over, uh, finished picking uh, tomatoes until early October in those days, and it was still money coming in. And I could go back and catch up, and, and it was good. But, but there was a lot of work in behind the scenes to make your scholastic career work out, or academic career. A, a lot of work. My, my father was one of the greatest persons I've ever known in my life. He was never beat. And whatever things went bad, never mind who, we're going to do this and this and this, and we'll do better. Now let's get at it. Yeah, he, was, he was a, a small man. But he he had a, and he helped anybody he could. He helped, you know. He 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 was the guy that figured out your your measurements of your field. If you had a, a contract for tobacco or tomatoes for five acres or two acres or whatever you had, you had to have it marked out, you know, in your field. And all the neighbors who couldn't, they couldn't, they didn't know how to calculate that. Father only they only had um, public school education. But they'd come down at night in the evening, in the early spring, and he, they would give them the dimensions of the field, how long it was, and he'd tell them how far over they had to go to plant by just working out if they had a three-acre contract or a five or a ten-acre. So they knew exactly how, how to... Because if you went over your contract, you got penalty. So uh, they know the other back before what they had... They knew it was either tobacco or tomatoes that were contracted. $13 a ton. $13 a ton was what we started with him. Yeah. Uh, might have been to 15 before I was finished, but we started, I, mean, I remember clearly, we started at $13 a ton, and we delivered them to Wallsburg, you know, at night. We loaded in the late evening, to, to, the today's tomatoes that we picked. We had some ladies in the village who came down and helped pick, you know. So we'd, we'd, we'd truck maybe a couple of hundred ba- uh, baskets in, get it weighed, get it weighed, get it registered, back up, and, we did, and then we had the field marked out, so we, we systematically went across it and, uh, and, uh, and got all the tomatoes uh, under an area, but uh, then we had to, just came back, rotated back each, 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 each time. 
And, uh, you know, uh, uh, half the time, you know, fix it in the dark uh, 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 on halfway to the place. But it was I got so I could do it fine, and I, I was I was sixteen. And how much of what your dad taught you as a person helped you to push to where you got to professionally? Uh, and, and just about everything. Uh, my father uh, was um, a guy who had made his way, uh, and his story is a, is a different one. But uh, he bought the, the farm from his other members of his family. And uh, it wasn't a lot of money, but there wasn't money in those days, you know. And uh, and he, but he, he never cheated anybody under any circumstances, on anything, you know. If he sold a, a, a pig or a calf or something, uh, or whatever little bit of business he did, and if he owed you five cents, he'd walk a mile to pay you back when he had it. And he helped everybody he could in any way he could, you know. And uh, and anyway, one of his statements: "Above all, Hugh, always do the right thing." Uh, and, and and he said, "You'll never be sorry. Always do the right thing, Hugh. You'll never be sorry." In terms of of professionally, tell us a little bit about what what you think about when you think about your career and and being able to help so many people in the way that you did health wise. I mean, that's that's all we have is our health. Yeah, I I, I think uh, I have been uh, well paid personally with all the the, the, the marks that. The, that I have made, you know, I've had a number of awards here and there and from European countries and whatever. Uh, My greatest reward was uh, seeing a sick patient get better. And uh, that's why I went on a scholarship. When I I finished my normal uh, fellowship, or uh, normal training, you know, the most money I ever made then was $125 a month, but I got by. And, and and I I went uh, I got a scholarship, uh, and I went and and started and to uh, Stockholm, Amsterdam, Graz in Austria and Vienna, and Hammersmith, London to the postgraduate school, and that was over less than two years, but the, the scholarship was only the scholarship was only meant for one person, and I had a wife and two kids, you know. One of my one of my daughters was born in Amsterdam, but anyway, we got by, and 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 uh, and, and uh, during my tra- training days, I had uh, you know I moonlighted. I, I was in the navy, and I did physicals for the navy and got ten bucks. I did the one, but I, I was in the navy, and uh, so that's really the way I, I got enough money to to do. But the time extra time that I took to go to Europe and see to major centers that they had picked out for me, you know, Stockholm, Amsterdam, Graz, uh, London, England. I went, I went by Paris, but it wasn't, it, it didn't, it didn't cut, it didn't make the, the cut. And so they took it away. But, uh, and then, and spent time and, at, uh, at the Hammersmith Postgraduate School, working with a guy by the name of Charles Reed. 
And Charles Reed was a big man, a big man, but he was, a, he was an excellent surgeon. But the, and the best surgeon that I encountered, however, the, the, the smoothest, slickest surgeon that could do any operation in the book that was necessary when you were operating on cancer. That's what I was there for. I was there to find out how we could do cancer operations better here. And uh, it was all treated with radiation, and there was some thought that there was a time that that surgery could remove it. When the, the, the side effect of radiation sometimes in some people lasted their, all their life, and I still see some people who had that happen. But anyway, that was the main reason that I was, that I was sent away, uh, or got the scholarship, and, uh, and spent the time in, uh, in uh, London and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 the, and the other parts of Europe, like uh, London, Amsterdam, Grass, one of the best surgeons I ever worked with was a guy in, uh, in Graz, which is a, a decent-sized place near Vienna. And uh, the guys in Vienna were okay, but the guys at Graz were excellent. Mm-hmm. And they, they knew the, the planes, the surgical planes, and how to exploit them without getting bleeding. And that was, they're they're there. And that's something you learned then. And that's how I learned. And and we did surgery from six in the morning until it was through late day, eight day. And we we started at six. And uh, and when I I learned, the the most I I learned about surgery was in grass. And and I went, I was in Vienna while but but they weren't they weren't, they weren't, didn't have the finesse that the guy by the name of Kurt Richter was the guy and he was the, he wasn't the head of the department in Graz another man was Ernst Navratil but Ernst was, was an all right surgeon and okay but and he did he did the normal operations and surgery that you have to do. Uh, in, in, in female surgery and abdominal and, and otherwise, but he wasn't slick, he wasn't smooth, and he wasn't cool. <laughs> <laughs> but he got the job done, and he was a, he was in the world a world, and he, he spoke a lot from here in various places, and, and and he had a name. The guy who I learned the most of him, uh, there was two guys in my life I learned a lot from. And one was Fred Johnson in Hamilton when I worked there for a year, for a year as, a, as a resident, and the other was Kurt Richter. And, and, and the actual sur- radical surgery, most of what... And it was a methodology that I learned. You know, like, you, you, there's no two operations f- for cancer that are the same exactly, you know. If, if you if you find this or that, then how do you find it, and how do you approach it? And and he uh, he taught a method that was initially uh, started by a German called wartime, and and uh, <clears throat> but they explored the 
the pelvic planes in surgery and anatomic planes so that you could identify the tumor and where the blood supply came from. Hmm. And that was the first thing you had to do. And, and control the blood supply to any large tumor and then go about taking care to dissect it out. You know, and uh, it would, they, he, he had it down. I used those planes, I used those things that I learned there, there for the rest of my life. And, uh, and uh, later on in the in, 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 in surgery, we were, saw the cases, we had cases sent in from all over Ontario, and persons who were looked at, operated, and, they, and, and, and said they were you know, inoperable, and they closed up and sent here. At the end of the day, we had a five-year cure rate that was the same as if we had seen them in the first place. So you and, were and seeing that cases were, that were called inoperable, please, yeah. there's nothing we can do for you. You would look at them, yeah. you would perform the surgery, yeah. and you would have the same five-year success rate. It's the same five-year success rate that we had in, 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 in any other cases that, 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 that hadn't, didn't have that problem, you see. You also have a couple of living people still. That well, I have a number, actually. I've yes. got two, two special ones who were given up, well, there was more than two, but we, I had a few patients, I would say, who were given up, they'd had radiation, re-radiation, and, and they couldn't give them any more radiation. And I was the first guy in Canada to uh, operate on people who had radiation and recurred. Tell us about the challenge there, because radiation does some damage, so what makes that so hard? The thing that makes that so hard is radiation, I'm not banking it, believe me, I'm not. It has a great place in, in, in cancer. But when you radiate that tissue, it, it ends up in scarring. And it's the most difficult operation then to separate the scarred tissue from the pelvic wall, from the side wall of the abdomen, safely. Because you have alternate methods of blood supply as the scar came. So the usual rules don't hold as well. They hold to some extent, but not entirely. But uh, that, and and uh, there's still I still have uh, some of the people. One person especially who was given up for uh, she was 26 years old, and uh, and had been radiated and re-radiated and had recurred with her cancer. And we, and, and then they said, and then they, then they said, well, we, we can't do anything, might as well, do you want to look at her or not? I said, sure. I looked at her, I looked at her, and, and I said, we should try. We should not give up before we're beat. And I know exactly what I have to do here. And, and, uh, but that that was, and then there's stories about people. Uh, and so tell us, so that woman was 26 years old. What happened? Did, how did how did that she, work out? She 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 made a bunch of cookies for me last week. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So how old would she be now? Well, it was 38 years ago. And, and she was told at 26, there's nothing we can do for you. Well, well, that, 38 that, years ago, and now she's making cookies for you today. That's right. That's right, she is. And she's one of the finest people in the world. And I, and I had a few of those. Yeah, a few stories like that. that. That's just one who kept constantly, and she never, um, you know, you can help a lot of people, and they pick the help, and they're gone. And, and that's fine. I, I don't mind that. Because you, you own the, the, what you get in reward yourself for having something happen for those people is far more more valuable than anything, and anything else that can happen to you. You're yeah. still going to London Knights games pretty regularly. Well, yes, I do. I, I when I came back to to, to, to London to work, uh, the, the old ice house was where the London Knights were. I used to go go to games there. Oh, all right, dear. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, then I met some fellows who had seats here, and so we have a, a group that, they, that we uh, that, uh, well, we go to the, to the games and, uh, and have seats and tickets. And I've had, I don't know how long it is I've had them, but it's quite a while. <laughs> And um, but and I don't always I do now more often than I have before. But anyway, uh, uh, I mean, it's, that that part part is has been very enjoyable because it's uh, a time away from uh, uh, you know from uh, uh, other things you have to do in life. He also went to the Western football games from. I don't know, from the, from the time he was at Western till he was about 95, 96. Yeah. You've seen a lot of great teams. I mean, yes. there's, there's a connection here. You know, the success of these teams and the fact that you're nearby, yeah. I, I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> no, I, no, I went to Western, and, and I, I, I played interfag football and basketball and so on. Uh, and I, was, I was president of my class for five years, except one year... We had a guy who was a really good guy, and he, he was a good, and we thought he was going to be a good physician. But he didn't pass physiology, and he was going to get the boot. We elected him president of the class, and we said, no, this is a really good person here. We better have another look at it. And we got him to get another. He'd, he'd missed the chance and the rechance. We had him give him another chance and let him through. He turned out to be one of the best family doctors that we've uh, we have ever produced in our our, our year. He, he was good, and I, I can I can tell you his name, but I won't. Mm-hmm. But I mean that that just shows how many times do we say, okay, in this case, you failed physiology. Sorry, you'll have to try something else. Yeah, you, you better go into basket weaving or or, or uh, you know ten. Sinsmith or something, but no, no, he turned out to be, and, and, and he was always a bit grateful for, for, but it wasn't just me, it was, it was, it was the whole class agreed with two guys, myself and John Gold, who was a vascular surgeon here, he was in my class, and we said, listen, we've got to try to help, because he, he's, he's worth it, and he was. 
And the guy that was a guy in physiology, that's a long story. You don't, you don't, you don't want that one, but you want that one. But, but, but really, uh, it, it, uh, you know, it, it, it was very gratifying to us to see how he turned out. And he was always grateful. I abdicated the president's job and we elected him president of the class. And then we went to the guys, to the, to, the, to the teen's office, and said, look, this is a really good guy. He's a president of the, of the class. You can't throw him out. Uh-huh. So, well, yeah, yeah. And after a considerable discussion and, and, uh, and, and trying our best, they said, well, okay, we'll give him another try. But he's got to do this, this, and this, and landmarks, or he's out the door. So John Coles and I helped him. He was he, he was a bright enough guy. He, he just needed to be organized, and he needed to, you know he just needed some guidance a bit. And uh, and we helped him over that bump. And then the rest of the clinical years he excelled. But just getting there, you know. But we were sure John was and I both were sure that Dave was going to be a good physician, and he'd be good for the profession. And he was. And he, he was. That's incredible. And, and that story has never been told until today. I, I, but I, I don't think I ever mentioned it or ever told anybody. But there's no harm now. Nobody, you know... But what a great story. I mean, how many times in our lives are we faced with that where we just say, by the numbers, this doesn't work, let's you're, move you're, on. You're, you're out the door. But you need, to, you need to hear that inner we, something we, that says... It, but it emphasizes the fact that we need to do better in choosing our people to go, who we get to go into medicine to people who care and who are willing to work and continue to learn the rest of their life. I'm 100 years old and I'm still learning. I still read a couple of journals a week and so on. I still learn. Well, you need to have people who are willing to let that happen that they don't get diverted off into other things if they're going to practice, you know. And, and so it, it, I, I shouldn't just be critical because unless you have a better idea how it can be done, you shouldn't criticize. And I've thought about it a lot, and I haven't come up, I don't think, (laughs) with a better idea than what the guys are all trying to do. They're trying their best, and and, and, and it's it's only working fairly well. uh, But I haven't got a better idea, so I don't really have that right to criticize the system, but I have the right to point out that, we're, that, 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 that this sort of thing can be there, can happen. And we all should bear in mind that medicine is a far deeper problem than you can put on paper. You should not let that be the last word. And I don't know how to make that that happened, <laughs> but we should not. That should not be how much how your marks and whatever. 
as the last word in what you'll be. And as a matter of fact, the people who turned out to be the best in our class were not the guys who had the high marks from, up from. Now, I'm not criticizing, I don't want you to think of for a minute I'm criticizing high marks, they're good. You know, I was, I was up there myself, you know, but, 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 but you know, but, but, and so was John Hole, who turned out to be an excellent guy in vascular surgery. So, uh, um, you know, those are things between the experiences and my father's basic learning. He never spoke bad about anybody. He said, Hugh, you don't have all the answers when you see how that person is doing or saying, doing what they're doing or saying what they're saying. Until you have all the answers, you cannot be critical. And, and so I got thinking about that, and I said, I guess that's right. So I guess I won't do that, you know, and, uh, and, and try not to get caught in that sort of thing. And, and oh, sorry. And, and then, you know, it's, 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 it's helped me a lot. You know, and then I, I had, I worked for the cancer clinic for 40 years uh, and never sent a bill to a cancer patient in my life. I did the operations when I came back, and, I, and I, you know, we didn't have a lot of money then, but we could get by. And I used to say to my people, the care secretary and so on, put that bill away. Those people have enough to worry about. I don't want them worrying about how, much, how they're going to get the money to pay us. Because this was before OHIP, obviously. This was well before OHIP. Well before OHIP. I just I don't want them worrying about that. If you and I work harder, at the end of the day, we'll have enough to eat in the house and a car, and we'll be fine. But we do not need to do so on the backs of, of persons who are much less fortunate than we are. And I never did. For the life of me, I never sent a bill to a cancer patient. I, I don't know whether, you know, if, if I should say, once in a while, they'd have... Uh, uh, insurance form to fill out in those days. They brought it back then and we filled it out. And, and about half the time they were able to, they, wanted, they brought some money in. And, and I guess the, the girls took it, but that was you know, it wasn't, that wasn't meant. We filled out the insurance form and if they got the money, in those days they paid the patient. The insurance company paid the patient. Fine with us, you know, because they always had enough of it, and the money they got paid wasn't, wasn't going to change the fact. But if it was going to make their life a bit easier somewhere, then it was worth it for us to know that we had helped that person. And we, we didn't need we, we we didn't need any any pay. Money money didn't matter. And and, and a friend, uh, 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 one of the things I learned from Fred Johnson too was was. Do your work, do it well, and don't abuse the privilege of being a physician ever. And at the end of the week or the end of the month, you'll, if you work, 
you'll have basic things that you need in life for you and your family. And it was true. It was true. Except we didn't see him very much, but that's right. Well, those are the things that you have to pay, you know. Always do the right thing and always feel good when you're with that. It went a long while that I, I tried to do a good deed for somebody, an extra good deed for somebody, once every day, one thing, this or that, you know. And I, and I, and I, and I like to do that. You know, to go the other half mile of something for some person who was much less fortunate than you, you know. That's the people I... And I still help those people that I see, that I think I can help. And, and, and I feel good about it, and I don't have any problem with, with wanting them to pay me back. 